Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today will be taken from the reading in the prophet Isaiah. You may be seated. We begin today with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we give you thanks this season of Advent that you are preparing us for the coming of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that as your word now comes to us, you would strengthen us in our hearts, you would teach us to repent and to believe the good news that Jesus Christ has come for us and has prepared a place for us in your presence forever. But now, Lord, as we hear this word, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was eight, my parents took us on a trip to Hawaii. And my mom was so excited about this trip, she could hardly contain herself. So for like two months before we left, she was giving us all kinds of almost like homework to prepare us uh, for going to Hawaii. She got us books and magazines. She put together little like trivia quizzes for us, and she would quiz us on Hawaii trivia every night before we went to bed. She had little puzzles she put together, and we would put a different piece in the puzzle together every day, putting together this beautiful picture of what Hawaii was going to be like. My mom was a master of preparing us for this trip. By the time we left for Hawaii, we were experts on Hawaii. All that was left was for us to actually arrive there. All that was left was for us to actually see the place. My mom knew how to prepare us for Hawaii. Well, we are in the season today of Advent. Today marks the beginning of Advent, and Advent is a season of preparation. Certainly it is a season in the church year when we're preparing for the celebration of Christ's birth, but we also celebrate, or I should say, we also prepare for not just his first coming and a celebration of that, but we're preparing for the return of Christ. We are continuing this theme now of, of preparing for Christ's second coming. And nobody prepares us better for the coming of Christ in the scriptures than the prophets in the Old Testament. The prophets are very much like my mom when she was preparing us for Hawaii. They give us all kinds of little tidbits and little bits of information, uh, clues and puzzle pieces that we can put together to figure out who this Jesus is and what he's going to be like. And nobody gives us a better and clearer picture of this Jesus than the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah paints for us such a clear picture of Christ in the Old Testament that Martin Luther once said that Isaiah could rightly be called the fifth gospel because he so clearly lays out for us who Jesus Christ is. So as we make our way through this season of Advent and make our way towards Christmas and really towards the second coming of Christ, Isaiah is going to be our guide. Isaiah is going to be our preacher and we're going to hear from him as he prepares us for the coming of Christ. Now today in our preparations, we hear from Isaiah and he talks to us about the very kingdom that Jesus Christ is preparing for us. A new sort of kingdom in which we will live utter peace for all of eternity this is how isaiah describes it and i'm going to read kind of a long reading for you but this is how he describes it he says it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it and many people shall come and say come let us go up to the mountain of the lord to the house of the god of jacob that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. 
For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes among many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, and neither shall there be war anymore. Isaiah is promising us a time in which God's Messiah, Jesus Christ, will show up and bring peace. Peace with God and peace among the nations and when Christ himself will reign over all things. Now, This peace that Isaiah describes today is a peace that comes as a gift. It's a peace that is granted to us, that is promised to us. It is a peace that comes through the preaching of his word. He says the law and the word which will go out from Jerusalem. And once this word starts to go out, it will go throughout the world and it will draw all people to himself. This word of mercy that comes from Jesus Christ. This word of love, of forgiveness, of peace. Isaiah today is preparing us for a new kind of kingdom in which Christ reigns and one one that is marked by peace. But again, it is a kingdom that comes to us as a gift. It's a promise that is delivered to us. It's not something that we can earn, not something we can create on our own. And in this way, it is utterly different from every other kind of peace, other, every other kind of kingdom that we find in this world. In fact, the kingdoms of this world are convinced that if we want to arrive at peace, there are other ways of doing it. It's something we must work for. It's something we must achieve. And the way that the world has decided that we achieve peace is by process of elimination. The world believes we can arrive at peace by means of elimination peace is the goal and peace is a wonderful goal and it's a goal that everyone is striving for but it's such a good goal that everyone thinks that any means necessary is uh, allowable to arrive at that goal and so we arrive there in our world by the by elimination think about this for a second if you want peace in your own personal life if you want to arrive at some sort of place of zen where you can be at peace with the world around you what do you need to do you need to eliminate. If you want to be at peace, you need to eliminate sugar from your diet. You need to eliminate smoking. You need to eliminate drinking. You need to uh, eliminate the screen time you have. You need to eliminate bad influences on your life. You need to uh, eliminate any number of things, bad friends, any number of things to make you feel better about yourself, to bring you to a place of peace. You need to simplify your life. Have you heard of the, the minimalist movement? Have you guys heard of this, the minimalist movement, that if you want to be at peace in your home, get rid of all of your stuff, and then you will be at peace? Forbes magazine, that champion of the minimalist movement, I'm sure, uh, has a great uh, list of things that will happen to you if you eliminate things from your home. If you eliminate all your stuff, you will enjoy more free time, you will spend less money, you will feel more calm, you will always have something to wear, You will help more people by donating. You will get better sleep. You will simplify your children's life. You'll get out the door quicker. You'll make room in your garage, and you will sell your home for more. That's all you have to do, though, is get rid of all your stuff. Elimination brings peace and space in the garage and oh so much more. So you just eliminate. You'll find peace. Now, it's kind of interesting to think about it, and actually there's probably something to that minimalist movement. It might be kind of nice to have a lot less junk around. 
Uh, but the problem is, is that this elimination mentality uh, operates on a much larger and perhaps more terrifying scale. According to the nations of the world, if you want to have peace, what do you need to do? You need to eliminate the enemy. You need to get rid of those who stand in your way of achieving peace. Uh, whether that's another nation or another ethnicity or something like this, elimination is the key. Nobody gets this better, by the way, uh, than John Lennon in his atheistic hymn, Imagine, in which he sang an ode to elimination. Listen to what John Lennon sings. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us and above us only sky. What are we eliminating there, by the way? God. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. And no religion, too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. See, for John Lennon and for all who sing this great hymn of atheism, which we hear every time there's an Olympics or something like this on TV, elimination is the way to peace. Elimination of heaven elimination of religion that is just another way of saying the elimination of god from our lives and getting rid of you know all of his blind followers if we could just get rid of god then we could live life in peace because after all he's the one who's caused all the problems in this world so get rid of god get rid of any sort of distinctions we might have and there we will find peace Interestingly enough, uh, there's another Lenin who had a very similar mentality. His name was Vladimir. No relation to John. Uh, but he tried to achieve peace this way as well by eliminating religion from Russia through violence and oppression. He failed miserably. But this is the mentality of the world. When peace is the goal, elimination of those I hate or disagree with is the means of arriving there. John Lennon's, hymn of his, John Lennon's atheistic hymn today meets its opposition in the song we hear from Isaiah. For Isaiah also sees a day where there is no more war, where swords are beaten into plowshares, where nations are gathered and united together, where Jew and Gentile are brought to peace with one another. But that day does not come by eliminating God or, or getting rid of God's word. In fact, it comes in the opposite way. That peace can only be realized when God shows up and sends forth his word from his holy hill. Through his prophet, God is preparing us today for that day when his word will work to unite and make us all one. That word comes to us then in the flesh of Jesus Christ. This is the word of God that will bring peace to the world. Jesus, who shows up in our flesh, who is crucified in our place and is risen for our justification. Jesus Christ, God's word in flesh, who brings peace with forgiveness of sins. For Jesus brings us peace by forgiving us. Now, it is worth noting that Jesus does bring peace by means of elimination. But it's not elimination of the enemy but it's forgiveness of the enemy by means of eliminating the sin that separates us from God so that there can be not elimination, but reconciliation. However, the way he does this is utterly surprising and completely different from the way anything operates in our world. Whereas in our world, we say if we want peace, we must eliminate the opponent. 
Jesus says, no, in order for there to be peace, I must die in your place. And now look how he does this. He does this by dying at the hands of sinners. Now, as much as I decry the song by John Lennon and call it an atheistic hymn, the reality is it's not just the hymn of atheism, it's the hymn of original sin. John Lennon's song could be called the ode to original sin because after all, isn't this what sin is? The desire to eliminate God from being Lord over me. Every time we sin, you have to realize this, every time you sin, you are committing an act of treason against God. You are telling God that I am going to be on the throne and you are not. I know better than you do, so I will do things my way and I need to get rid of you in order to achieve my purposes. So every act of sin is an act of treason so that when God shows up in the flesh, when Jesus Christ comes on the scene, our flesh does what it knows only how to do. And our sin puts him on the cross. Our sin... Our, our, our imagining sinful nature takes the bait and we put him with the, on the cross with our sin. And it's you and I who seek to eliminate God in our sin. You and I try and create peace by killing him. For it is your sin and my sin that crucifies the Lord Jesus Christ. But as I said, Jesus does not come to eliminate, but to reconcile. And he does not act this way uh, excuse me, he will not let this act of treason win so that we might do our worst to Christ, but Christ will respond with his best. And though we crucify him, the Lord Jesus Christ rises from the dead, and when he rises, his message to us does not change. Jesus does not come out of the grave after we have killed him and said, now it's your turn. He doesn't show up in our lives and say, now you're going to get it. Here I am with vengeance and it's time to eliminate you. No, we crucify him and he rises and says, I forgive you even for that. And he creates peace by declaring you forgiven. By reconciling you and I to God through his blood. In fact, we know that this is what Jesus has done, that he's created this peace. Because the very day he rises from the dead, he appears to the disciples in the upper room. And not speaking words of elimination or vengeance to them, the very first word out of Jesus' mouth when he sees his disciples is the word peace. He looks upon them even as he looks upon you and says, peace be with you. Peace has been restored between you and God, peace that flows from sins forgiven. You have peace. Elimination doesn't bring peace. Jesus Christ does. But his peace does not come in that worldly sort of way. It comes as a gift and as a promise. Now, we might read this passage from Isaiah, and we might say to ourselves, well, that, doesn't think, that thing doesn't feel like it's really been realized yet. There's still a lot of war, there's still a lot of strain, there's still a lot of problems going on in this world, and that's true. But we have to realize that Christ in his coming has begun the work of this peace, and we will finally realize it when he comes again to judge the living and the dead. But in his first coming, Christ established the most important peace that we need, peace with God. Through his death, through his resurrection, through the blood that he shed on Mount Calvary, we have peace with God. And now from that mountain goes forth his word. A word that brings peace to the nations. A peace that is being realized, perhaps not geopolitically, but certainly within the church. For we in the church are at peace with one another. And we are united together. 
not by our ethnicity, not by our common interests, not by our political leanings or our race or any of these sorts of things. No, we are united by the Lord Jesus Christ who has drawn people from every tribe, nation, language, and tongue to himself by means of the same baptism. For in Christ there's not Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, and baptism all are one in Christ Jesus. So now here already in the church, we have a glimpse and a preview of what is coming when Jesus Christ returns, when there will be peace reigning for all of eternity. And so now we are working towards that final day when Christ will come and Isaiah's prophecy will be fully realized. Peace, which is now promised, will then be enjoyed. And this peaceful kingdom comes to us, not by means of elimination, but as a promise and a gift, freely given for you, from your God who has given you Jesus Christ and has united you together with this word that says, I forgive you your sins. Peace be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us. Forgive us for trying to eliminate the enemy. Lord, forgive us for trying to be our own gods and to create our own peace. And now, Lord, teach us to receive this peace by faith in you. We thank you, Jesus, that you have reconciled us to God. We thank you that you have given us to each other so that we might love and serve each other. And now, Lord, let your peace reign as a wonderful gift. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.